join me for the litany of invitation and confession printed in your order of worship. Come, children of God, let us sing praise to the living God. God raised Jesus from the dead, and Christ ascended to sit at God's right hand. When the world seems like it's spinning out of control, we rest in the comfort of God's care. We bring our worries and cares to God, who gives us peace. Sometimes we forget that God is always with us, and so we forget to listen for God's voice and to do God's will. Sometimes we try to do things in our own way rather than God's way, and that is our confession. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, hear this good news. God has forgiven you. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Well, good morning and welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. I'm so delighted to be worshiping with you this morning. If you are a guest, a visitor with us this morning, first of all, a special welcome to you. And second, we'd ask that if you're willing, if you can put some information about yourself so we can reach out to you and come to know you better. That's on the edge of your order of worship. You can just take that off and put it in the offertory plate that will be passed out later in the service. Also, for all who are gathered here who have prayer concerns, you can write those down on the other side where it says prayer requests. We look at those uh, on Monday morning. Uh, this week it will be Tuesday morning because we'll be closed tomorrow. And during staff meeting, we pray together for these concerns. It helps us stay connected. James and Liz, James the senior pastor, his wife Liz, are in Asheville, North Carolina. They were at Decoration Day for uh, Liz's brother and her uh, mother, Irene, and we've been communicating back and forth, and they're having a special time there, uh, and they send their greetings to everyone here this morning. The, the text that you'll hear today, we call kind of an audible on the lectionary passages. You'll be hearing ascension passages today, although technically ascension falls on Thursday, May 30th. Uh, you'll hear some today and some next week. The Ascension passage uh, that I'll be preaching from is from the first chapter of Acts, and that is only narrated in the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So we'll be looking at God's presence and God's absence, and the text you'll hear will enforce that in many ways, uh, especially the Gospel lesson, which talks about the Trinitarian oneness, that, that God and all of God's people are together in one in Christ. So we'll listen for that in the text, we'll listen for that in the music that speak of ascension and the, the coming gift of the Holy Spirit as we worship God together. Let's continue our worship.
Jesus is lifted up into heaven, a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here ends the first lesson. Will you pray with me? All-loving God, we are still in awe of the resurrection and grateful for the continued presence and power of the Holy Spirit. May we deeply know that presence as we strive to fulfill your commission to witness to the ends of the earth. Lord, we know that things are not right in our world. As people in desperate need are turned away from our borders, as economic inequality grows, and as we fail to be good stewards of your creation, we're constantly reminded that the world is in need of healing. Strengthen us to take transformative action as we serve as witnesses to the life of Christ. Help us to, help us to trust in you as we go forth boldly with the, Christ, with the love that Christ demonstrated. And now we pray together as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Christ is above all things in heaven and on earth. A reading from the letter of Paul to the epistles. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. 
I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. According to the working of his great power, God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here ends the second lesson. Would the children please come forward at this time for our lesson? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hi, good morning. I need to get the basket for your offering. Grab it in just a minute. Sit right here. Pastor Daniel will take it and he'll put it up there. Thank you. Hey, you guys. How's everybody this morning? Good, good. There's not so many of us this morning, huh? That's okay. Only three. That's okay. Aaron counted. So, <laughs> but this, this morning, like Pastor Daniel said, he said we're going to be talking a little bit about something called ascension. Can you say ascension? Ascension. And that's a kind of big word that means going up. And so we're kind of talking about Jesus going up to heaven. And so in our story that uh, Miss Caitlin read, she read our scripture, and it was a story. It was from the book of Acts. Can you see Acts right here? Acts. A-C-T-S. It's from the book of Acts. And it's a story about Jesus ascending. So Jesus was going up. And in this story, it was kind of crazy because they talked about kind of went up in a cloud. Can you imagine if you were talking to somebody and then they ascended? on a cloud. Close your eyes. Imagine that for a minute. That's crazy, right? No, none of us were here when that happened, when Jesus ascended. And so for a long time, when people read this story from Acts, they had uh, imagined what it would be like. And I brought, Leah, can you show everybody that picture? Can you show that picture? I brought us some pictures of what some people have imagined that that ascension might have looked like. And so one is a sculpture that Pastor Daniel's holding. This is what somebody imagined about the ascension story. And this one that Cindy's holding, this is a photograph that somebody took. So maybe like Miss Murdy, they took a photograph from inside of a church and it was hold them up tall so everybody can see. And then mine is like a painting and I think a French artist did. This one is a painting, too, with all the disciples around. And then Aaron has one of it looks just like Jesus, just all by his lonesome. So these are things that people imagine about the ascension story. And so today, 
I want y'all to take a bag of crayons, and I want you to take a piece of paper, and I want you to write a story, or a poem, or draw a picture, or even fold your paper. Be creative and imagine what you think the ascension was like. And so when you go back and you listen to Pastor Daniel preaching, I want you to think about that and make us a work of art, okay? And then you can give it back to me, and I'm going to put them up for next week because we're still going to be talking about the ascension next week so people can see them when they come into worship, okay? All right, everybody close your eyes and let's have a prayer. Dear God, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for helping us learn about all of these stories that may seem crazy but are so true. Thank you for our week with our friends and with our family. In your name that we pray, amen. Okay, guys, let's go sit. God and Jesus are one, a reading from the Gospel according to John. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are, are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm sure you notice that we are closer in uh, an increased intimacy on the nave because uh, most of our choir has ascended just for one Saturday and one Sunday, and most of the congregation has ascended to the lake and to the oceans of the United States, and they'll be back next week. But while they're away, we are together to worship in spirit and truth, and we're united with them as well. We pray for all of those who are traveling. Uh, for Memorial Day weekend. Now, the preschoolers have a chapel on Wednesday when the preschool is in session during the normal school year, and Andrea normally uh, covers chapel. She does a much, much better job than I do. But one Wednesday, she was out, and she asked me to cover. This was a couple weeks ago. And there's no more challenging room, I think, to be in than in a room full of preschoolers. Especially when uh, they haven't learned all the rules of engagement yet, like asking questions that the preacher doesn't have the answer to. You know? They're really fond of that. And I decided that when I showed up, that I'd, I'd try to teach them a couple of things about prayer, some things I'd been thinking about prayer, and I launched into you know, my whatever I, I was going to say. And about two seconds into it, um, a little girl who was sitting right in front of me, she interrupted me, and she said, Yeah... But how do we pray when we can't see God? Now that'll strike terror in any preacher's heart. I considered running screaming from the chapel for a moment. I mean, it was an excellent question. Isn't it? How, how do we pray when we can't see God? A simple question, deceptive in its simplicity and obviousness. And yet there, there was no answer that I could give the little girl that wouldn't lead to another thousand questions. There, there was an abstraction that she was pointing to. I was teaching her about a God that she couldn't touch or see or hear, at least in the ways that would count as evidence in the same way that you could touch or see or hear your parents, your little brother, your little sister. One could believe in Paul Patrol or whatever TV show she might be watching because you can see it, right? But coming to trust in a God who is said to hear everything you say and do when you cannot see or hear anything God says or does, it's just, well, unbelievable. I don't think she'd read Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or the other culture despisers of religion, but 
she had the, the basic thesis down, age three. Perhaps in a, a child's development of faith, she would come to accept as fact that the random things that she picks up about God from chapel, I don't know what influences she has, perhaps from scraps of conversation around the dinner table, uh, prayer before bedtime or a meal. Perhaps she goes to church and, and it would pick up even more through worship and Sunday school, through believers in her life in her community. Perhaps one day she would recite the Nicene Creed, hold out her palm for communion, say the Lord's Prayer by heart, diligently. Maybe she'd sing the hymns, the great hymns of the church with their, their high-minded language of a God who sustains, who provides, who cares. Oh, maybe she'd grow up, go to college, be exposed to the historical study of religion and learn critical theory and deconstruction. And maybe she would come to hear the church's confession of faith as just the cultural product of a bygone era. Her parents' faith, a curious artifact of a, of a time of Christian hegemony, when people actually went to church, or they went to Wednesday night Bible study, went to Sunday evening church, when one of the central unifying forces of a society in a person's life was the church and its powerful sources of meaning and socialization. But the little girl is growing up in a different time, isn't she? Different time. It was a lonelier time. It was a time marked more by people's absence rather than presence. Perhaps she was born in 2016, nine years after the first iPhone came out. Some decade before Facebook and its progeny, Instagram and Snapchat. She was born in a culture where teenagers fall asleep with the glowing light of electronics next to their faces when, when actually sitting down and talking to another person was something only remembered by her parents. It was long ago that we weren't plagued by the constant interruption of chirps and tweets and train whistles and custom-modified tones on our cell phones and all the other evidence that we can't rest, we can't have Sabbath, we cannot have peace. And yes, the little girl came to age in, in a world where humans were at no other time in human history connected and perhaps at no other time in human history disconnected. Why come to saving faith in a God who does not maintain a social media presence? Cannot tweet, snap, or add to God's Insta story? Two people got that, I think. What evidence among the absence of God in the world would lead one to believe that God was really there? Despite all evidence to the contrary. Americans are facing an epidemic of loneliness. Former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said he saw that in his private practice before he was appointed to his position. And in his role as Surgeon General, he saw it all over the country that people are connected, but they have never been more lonely, and it is a public health crisis, he said. I, I believe that. I mean, we are overscheduled, we are overtired, we are overcommitted, and yet we are in need of God. Just as humans have always needed God at all times of human history, we are parched in a desert of over-information. Our, fa our faith, to the extent it draws upon that, lacks connection and coherence and purpose, but we're, we're just doing the best we can, generally speaking, day by day, to keep up. And, and despite our profound need of God, despite our desperate need to be in Jesus' presence, 
to walk the shores of Galilee, you know, following in the footsteps of Jesus' disciples, Jesus went up, 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 and away. He left. He ascended. His body lifted up. It was no metaphor. He actually rose up off the ground. He, he floated into the sky. Those onlookers there in Acts that you heard read this morning, they, they were looking into heaven, into heaven, and then he left everybody behind. I mean, Jesus got raptured. Some of the Renaissance paintings show him with just the barest of white clothes clinging to his body, hanging off his body. No need for clothes in heaven, I guess. He left it all behind. Then he left us behind. So where is Jesus now? I'm back to the little girl's question in the chapel. Well, of course, if you've read your Bible in the New Testament, you know that the answer over and over again is that Jesus is in heaven, isn't he? Sitting at the right hand of God. It says that over and over. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Again and again, the New Testament testifies to the truth that Jesus is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. I wonder all that sitting that Jesus is doing, if he should get one of those stand-up workstations, you know? you see. And when Stephen was, was martyred in the seventh chapter of Acts, he actually, he has a vision and he sees Jesus standing in heaven. So Jesus does stand up. This is a metaphor, of course, for control, dominion. God's got us in his hands. So apparently Jesus does get worked up by the pain that we experience on earth. Apparently, Jesus is moved by the human condition. Apparently, Jesus is not just basking in the glory of himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit all day. He's actively involved in our lives. Thinking about this, it reminded me, back in Tennessee, there was a, there was a billboard that I'd pass on the interstate all the time. It was real popular. You'd see it in the South a lot. Black background with big white letters. And it just said, don't make me come down there, God. But the theology of don't make me come down there is, of course, a heresy. It, it imagines that the only way that God can make God's presence known is through redoing the incarnation, as if it didn't click the first time. Or maybe it's just about the second coming. Things are bad, so bad on earth, just come back, Jesus. Jesus, take the will. Don't make me come down there pretends that Pentecost never happened. I mean, it has no room for the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is the attitude that the apostles had where they're, they're gazing up into heaven, paralyzed by inaction, and they ask, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the nation of Israel? Such a spiritual attitude can keep you forever trapped in despair at the world around you. I mean, it can keep you paralyzed from acting, from the movement of the Holy Spirit, to always be asking, is this the time? Is this the time? Is this the time? During that, that first Easter tide, it was just ten days before Pentecost in the, the Acts of the Apostles that you heard read. Jesus instructed the Apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the promise. He said, the promise of God the Father. The promise is that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The promise is that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit. The promise was that they would never be left alone. So when Jesus goes up, Jesus didn't leave us behind. 
Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't that what Jesus said? I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Access to God the Father comes through Jesus the Son with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is not far away, I think, like we imagine heaven to be sometimes. Trillions of light years away, some distant galaxy that maybe our most powerful satellite can't see. I don't think heaven is so much the, the geographic furthest end of the quantum universe. It, it's not even space as we understand that, that term. It, it is God's place. It is God's dimension. It is God's reality. And in Jesus, God's reality came crashing together with our reality. This coming together of heaven and earth, it, it created a space and a place so thin that the Celts in their spirituality call it a thin place, a thin space. You don't have to go across the world to get a thin place where you can access God. Perhaps it is in your backyard at 7 in the morning with your coffee and your newspaper. That's what it is for me. The sound of, of Atlanta coming to life around you. Perhaps it is a state of mind when, when you ask God to be with you and you feel a peace that passes all understanding. If the kingdom of heaven is near, as Jesus proclaimed it to be, then we are invited to make it a reality, not just something we go to when we die. Each time we turn the other cheek, we make it a reality. Each time we pray for those who persecute us, we make it a reality. If you begin to think of heaven that way, then heaven can't just be that place we go. It is so much bigger than a place. If you can begin to see God's reality this way, then you'll realize there is no place that you can go where you can hide from God's presence. Some of us, I think, myself included, might be mired in a past experience, and that is keeping us from experiencing the presence of God today. Might be a, a mountaintop experience, a time in our life when the presence of God was so real and so overpowering that everything spiritual in our life had become to just taste dull by comparison. Perhaps some of us pray for God's presence because we have forgotten that God is always here. It, it was us the whole time who wasn't here, it, it was me who wasn't present. Not present with my loved ones at dinner when I checked my phone. Not present when I put the phone away and was thinking about work during conversation. Not present in prayer when I just said the words, but I was thinking about what I was going to do next. Not present in relationship when I was waiting to talk instead of listen. Not present. Not present. That is the defining characteristic of our age. It's not God who is absent. It is us. God didn't abandon us at the ascension. God simply entered his own deepest reality and invites us to experience that with God. Hmm. I wish I, I could have a do-over with the chapel crowd. I wish I could tell them God is present. God is here. Even if we can't see God with our eyes. They, they might look at me crazy. They might go home and tell their mommies and daddies that the preacher was crazy. But what if the little girl's family came in this morning? 
they saw the few of us sitting here in this room talking about a God that nobody can see or hear. Imagine what you would say if, if they leaned over to you and said, what in the world are y'all doing here? Where is this God y'all are talking about? What would you say? Maybe, if you believe this, you'd say, would you believe if I told you this, that God is right here in your heart, living inside of you, nurturing you, sustaining you, forming you. Would you believe it if I told you God was right here? That there is no place you can go to avoid God's presence? That, that it is more fundamental than the oxygen that you're breathing? The water you drink, the food you eat? Would you rise up out of your seat and take the little girl's hand and who demands to know where this God is that we can't see and tell her, as Jesus did, all the convincing proofs of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You know, I think if you did that, what would happen? If you, if you really believe that, that little girl, one day, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may be years later, one day she'll say, I want what you have. I really want what you have. I want to know this God. Show me how I can come to know this God. For we know a living God. A God who is present, who lives inside of us, who sits at the right hand of the Father, and who will come again in glory. And all of God's people who heard this said, Amen. Each time the word is proclaimed, an opportunity to respond is given to those gathered here. Perhaps it's to make a decision for Jesus Christ in your life or to join our congregation. We invite you to walk forward during that time. You can come up with me. We'll pray together as we sing a hymn. We'll sing a familiar hymn. Shall we gather at the river? It's hymn 687 in your hymnal. And the invitation is that the gathering at the river and all the images of heaven can be experienced at least partially today by knowing God and enjoying God's presence. So let's listen for that as we sing and stand.
Each time we gather, we bring celebrations and concerns, and I want to bring a few of those to you this morning and some announcements. Uh, next week, we'll start our church summer school series. It's called Spiritual Biographies, and we'll be looking at the biographies of Jews, Christians who have had a significant impact uh, on the world. And next week, Frederick Downing, a uh, professor from Valdosta State, will be here to talk about his biography of Clarence Jordan. That'll be at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall next week, and that will continue uh, throughout the summer. There'll be a summer sermon series that's called Characters with Character, and that will focus on the biographies of characters from the summer lectionary passages as well. So a few announcements and celebrations. First, uh, we celebrate with Caitlin Cook Fur for her upcoming marriage ceremony to Peter next Saturday at 5 p.m. here in the sanctuary. We're so excited, and I know you are too, Caitlin. If you can't see, she's smiling really big right now. <laughs> um, and we celebrate too for your ordination. This is uh, the coming together of many dreams uh, for you, so we're with you. Uh, some prayer concerns to bring you. I uh, heard word from uh, Liv, um, who is Radar Bjornard's daughter, that he was transferred to Wesley Woods uh, Assisted Living last Thursday. Uh, however, it, he expects to be back in church this coming Sunday, so we'll be looking for Radar and, and welcoming him, him back as well. Uh, we pray for you, Posey, um, for your family, for your daughter, for the family of Wally Duncan, your son-in-law, um, who was buried on Thursday. We're with you. We pray for Roy Meeks, who is the father of Hal Meeks, who uh, has been declining but rallied this morning, I hear, uh, after talking to Hal. Uh, but a difficult time uh, for him, so we pray for you and for Hal and his family. Let's continue our worship, and I'll get out of the way so you can see them, as we sing uh, the offertory hymn, If You Love Me.
God, on this good and joyful day, amidst the heat and the sunshine and this holiday weekend, we're overwhelmed with gratitude for the gift of your love and grace in our life. So come gift us, come love us, and come grace us again and again. May these offerings be put to use for the good of your kingdom. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God give you the strength to never sell yourself short, the courage to risk something big for something good, and the strength to know that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth 
and too small for anything but love. And now may God take our minds and think through them, take our lips and speak through them, and take our hearts and set them on fire. Amen. <laughs>